Welcome to Fast Casual Nation, a podcast that gets with thought leaders, talks technology, and brings you industry insights. I'm your host, Lisa Pepe, and today we have on the show Mike Leonard, founder and CEO of Talk Korean. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, there's a lot I want to get to today, but I just want to tell our audience and everybody tuning in today to make sure you listen at the end of the show, because we're going to have Mike share with us his top three strategies for staff retention, and I know it's a big topic. But before we get uh, into all of those amazing insights, I want to find out, Mike, tell me how you got started. Tell me about your background, and then um, before you got into Talk uh, Korean. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I started Talk Korean when I was 24 years old out of a a food truck that I uh, converted, you know, it was a, it's actually okay. a police uh, emergency response vehicle from the city of Philadelphia, I believe. Uh, but okay. it, it was just an empty box truck. We got it built out. Before that, I was actually in the uh, outdoor uh, retail industry. I was selling kayaks and um, hiking boots okay. and backpacks and managing various stores in the uh, Colorado area and then in the, uh, the District Maryland and Virginia area. So that's what I was doing previous. Okay. Uh, it was a really fun career, but, you know, I felt like I really wanted to get into food and uh, kind of the burgeoning scene, and, and that was where my passion was. So I started Talk Korean in 2010 when I was okay. 24 years old. So uh, Talk Korean uh, started a, a box truck, which is amazing. And now tell us, um, you, you converted or you uh, added or switched over to a fast casual concept? Yeah, that's right. I, actually, the... The brand has remained the same the entire way. We've obviously added a few things to the menu along the way. Um, two years after okay. we opened the food truck, we opened in uh, the acclaimed food hall Union Market. And then two years after that, we opened an inline store in the uh, Navy Yard neighborhood of Washington, D.C., which is close to the ballpark and, okay. and everything like that. So and then after that, we, we went on to open a few more fast casual restaurants. And we eventually retired the food truck um, because it actually okay. kind of became a distraction. <laughs> Uh, you know, oh, interesting. Okay. Incredibly challenging to operate uh, in comparison to uh, a bricks and mortar restaurant. So when you had the food truck, did you have to use a commissary kitchen? Yes, absolutely. That was a health department requirement. And, and that's how you would want to do it anyway, just from a, a you know, best in class operation standpoint. So yeah, there's a lot of driving sure. around. You're in a new place every day. Uh, you have to park in a new place every day. The health inspectors have come on board. I think I counted 27 times one year. <clears throat> um, wow. So it's actually a highly regulated environment, at least in Washington, D.C. So I, I want to find out. Um, it's it's a it's a hot topic, um, you know, food trends and Gen Z. Do you find yourself uh, uh, taking that into consideration on on everything in your day to day operations? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, taking into consideration um, almost more from a marketing standpoint for for our franchise program. You know, we kind of naturally fit, which is uh, which is lucky for us. And uh, I don't want to get too far into references because I can't remember it all off the top of my head. But there's some, you know, reputable publications that, you know, have been talking a lot about how um, Mexican food and uh, Asian, various types of Asian cuisine are really at the very top of the list um, for millennials and Gen Z, yeah. generally speaking. <clears throat> and we really hit the bullseye on that. And so, you know, right now we're just trying to reflect on where we are. You know, we've been open now 12 years, almost going on into our 13th year. Wow. And, you know, okay. we want to, and we're like, wow, you know, that we're, we're as relevant as we've ever been. And uh, so that's an exciting thing. Wow. 
No, that's incredible. Um, you know, uh, operating systems are really important, obviously, to day-to-day -day operations. Um, staff morale, retention. Can you talk about uh, your operating systems and and the impact it has in a positive way day-to-day? -day? Yeah, so, I mean, from a very... Uh... You know, I've always been obsessive about the employee experience, right? Uh, and look, it's it's always going to be work, right? Restaurants are hard. You know, I, I can't solve that for people. But, you know, when you think about right. all the little things in the operation that make things easier for staff, for managers, uh, whether it be uh, reducing the amount of paperwork uh, through technology or through just deciding that you don't mm -hmm. need that paperwork. You know, there's a lot of creative things that a lot of business owners don't do. Uh, and then even from from the base level, you know, just making sure that uh, everything is staged correctly in bottles. So there's just less uh, obstacles during your peak service periods, right? You know, traditionally, uh, restaurant workers have been kind of expected to, you know, have a heroic uh, performance just to get through a shift. Yeah, that's daily, right? Yes. Uh, and, right. you know, look, I, I'm not going to say it's not hard because we never want to say something's easy because that's disingenuous. But how do we simplify things and, and create a system that makes it just a little bit less sucky, you know? Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, and, and people <laughs> right. like working in restaurants and that differentiates us. So when people have been in the industry and worked at uh, particularly other fast casuals and they're like, wow, you know, this is kind of the same model, but this is, uh, you know, a little bit easier. I hate to say easy because it's not easy, but it is, you know, a little easier than a Chipotle, for example, you know, the way we've structured things. You know, um, staff retention uh, and restaurant wages is a, definitely an ongoing uh, conversation in the industry. Can you talk about how you've approached it as a CEO of a fast casual concept? I absolutely can. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I don't want to give away too much uh, of my three tips for the end. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> but look, I mean, a culture of respect is important. I mean, you want to have leaders that um, respect the team. Uh, you want to, uh, you know, I always talk about earning your chances, right? I mean, everyone goes in waves. Everyone's right. got, you know, emotional issues, issues at home. Uh, you know, when those issues really start to affect the team, you know, you can remove somebody. But other than that, you really want to um, try to hang on to people, especially if they've proven to you in the past that, that they are valuable and that usually pays dividends in the long run. Um, compensation is important, yeah. right? Just paying above the average. Um, look at the end of the day, culture is not something you can just kind of print on the wall. Like, you know, like uh, some yeah. companies do. It's really just right. the, the shared kind of uh, set of values that people have. And uh, we don't print anything on the wall. Right. We don't dictate what the culture is. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it just comes from the DNA of the company, the leaders that are there now, the leaders that have been there in the past. Um, and, yeah. uh, and look, it's not perfect, right? I'm not going to say it's perfect, but I think it's better than most. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that's good. I do, I have to ask you this. Um, you know, you started at 24. Uh, what is one thing you wish someone would have told you prior to opening Taqueria? <clears throat> I wish somebody would have impressed upon me uh, the various ways of raising money. <laughs> um, look, mm -hmm. I, I kind of okay. understood the various ways of raising money. Um, I think one of 
my uh, particular, I wouldn't call it a weakness, but I've really kept things uh, tight in terms of we haven't brought on investors particularly. And that's been an advantage in some ways, but also, you know, when you think back over the whole cycle and every time we've kind of been in popularity, um, you think maybe if I had a good partner, a good financial partner, we could have grown more at this point or that point. Um, and, you know, just having a little bit uh, better understanding of the financial raising process, I think that's important. You know, you get into these things and you're like, well, look, I just want to operate this food truck. Uh, you know, that's my primary goal. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, we have good cash flow so I can get a bank loan. And, and that's good too. Um, but it really puts all the risk solely on the founder, um, which is okay. a good thing sometimes, you know, for, you know, kind of being right. able to make unilateral decisions. But, you know, partners are good. And I think that, uh, um, you know, now I have a, a, a good operating partner. Um and then, you know, financial partners are nice, too. And I think uh, as long as partnerships are structured correctly, I think that that's, uh, that's a win. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice. Which brings me to my next question. Um, what are your growth plans for the brand? And can you share some news about uh, maybe some of the locations that you've opened recently? Yeah, so um, growth plans. So we haven't actually opened anything recently. <clears throat> um, in okay. fact, we... Uh, uh, um, there's a couple things that that closed during the pandemic, uh, actually not necessarily related to the pandemic. Some of our deals just expired from time uh, okay. and they were in um, <clears throat> central business district areas that really served office workers solely. So that was a, almost like a, a pivot, like a re-strategization mm. more so than a failure. Right. Um, the company is very strong at, at the stores we're operating. And we are, uh, I can't share it yet because it's not done, but we are working on a company owned store. Okay. Uh, 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 deal process. And then we just launched a franchise program. Okay. And this is something that uh, we're really into. And we're also um, uh, partnering with on-campus brands to uh, try to be placed in college campuses across the country. And so these are our primary growth initiatives right now. And we worked with iFranchise Group over mm -hmm. the last year, um, honing our okay. operating materials and uh, creating a franchisee program that we think is going to um, be really innovative. You know, our tech stack, our um, operating model, <clears throat> the simplicity, you know, we have kind of complex flavors and all fresh cooking, but we only have two pieces of gas equipment. Um, it takes uh, limited okay. to no previous culinary skill to produce what we have. And this is all based on the fact that I didn't have previous culinary skill and we started in a food truck. So the DNA right. of the company is really natural, um, but we're able to create complex okay. flavors from scratch in the store. Um, and so I think it's a really compelling idea for potential franchisees. Well, I think it's interesting because you said something. You said that, um, you know, the, the brand is extremely strong. So, you know, how important is that to make sure before uh, growing that you are solid in the base where you are? Well, I see a lot of people make this mistake and <clears throat> some of them make it through uh, and some of them don't. But you really, I mean, you look at the, right. and I'm name dropping in a positive way here. If you look at the uh, real success stories, uh, two brands that came out of Washington, D.C., and I was able to watch them in their infancy, uh, Kava had two stores, three stores, four stores, seven stores for like five, right. six years before they went to now 150 over the last five or six or seven years. 
and then they bought right. Zoe's Kitchen and everything else. Uh, Sweetgreen, also, you know, their first five to seven stores, I think, was over a period of five to seven years, or at least four to seven years. Uh, and there is a base there. Once you become a multi-unit operator, you get your tech under control. You understand what you expect from general managers. You, you kind of codify these positions, right. area management, district management, whatever you want to call it. I think it's critically important. Um, and so even though we're a relatively small company, we've had 12 years of experience and we've operated as many as five stores at once. Um, and so we have all those right. processes, which is why we feel really confident in our ability to support franchisees. Um, I yeah, do, no, see, that's, that's I do see some of uh, these concepts that go from like one to 25. And uh, look, I mean, I, I don't know their, their operations intimately, but it just seems impossible to me that that could be a good quality operation. It's just, that's how it seems, you know. I have to ask, you know, um, the supply chain slowdowns have been impacting many, many menus across the board. Um, and it's a lot of, it's a t discussion that I, that I talk about every day. Um, have they impacted uh, Take Korean? And is it, if yes or no, and then what about LTOs? Because I think in this industry, it's so important to have limited time offers. Have you still been able to 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 launch with LTOs? Yeah. Um, so in terms of supply chain slowdowns, yeah, it affects us a lot. I mean, we are usually able to okay. get something that is, uh, or, or we're usually able to get our product. Um, but every right. now and then there's a substitute. And the substitutes um, are not necessarily lesser than, but they might require more prep work. And so this is an interesting thing okay. is that, you know, we get uh, um, like our chicken, for example, is pre-cut to a very specific spec. This is one of the things, you know, let's make it easy. Cutting chicken is kind of sucky. So like, let's create a program. For your team, yes, exactly. of so, course. So we do these things. So yeah. then, you know, so for a couple of weeks, maybe we have to cut chicken because that product's not available. So we're more dealing with stuff like okay. that where the quality is not impacted to the customer. It's more so the team. And, and obviously they're very understanding. We know sure. the reality. Uh, and then costs. Costs are really, uh, really high. Um, and I'm usually not one to complain about costs, but they really are getting very high. Uh, and, and it's got a big roller coaster. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're waiting to see, you know, when that's going to level off. In terms of LTOs, uh, we just launched an LTO of uh, a beautiful seared piece of salmon. Uh, it goes really well with our existing menu okay. toppings and everything like that. You know, one of the things for us is also simplicity for the customer. Um, some places have so many sure. options that can be overwhelming and, and you make everyone a chef, they can ruin their meal. We have a limited enough amount of things that it's really hard to ruin your meal. Um, and, you know, so whenever we, we right. launch an LTO, we're like, okay, does this go well enough with all the toppings we have out there? So if someone's like, I want that, we're not sitting there cringing like, oh, that doesn't really go together. Uh, <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, the salmon's a beautiful thing. Uh, we've done some LTOs uh, since the pandemic as well, or not, you know, since the Okay. first stage of the pandemic you know i think of the pandemic in all okay. these different stages but um yeah. so it hasn't necessarily affected it but you know you you have these substitute products that require more preparation and you have major price fluctuations I, I love what you just said by the way to the sidebar like you know you don't have to you could go and place an order without having to be a, become a, your own chef trying to decide what you're right. going to put in the in, in the takeout it's amazing it's okay. hard i hear my so, friends um, I, 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 I hear my friends talk about that <laughs> 
Oh, it's it's torture. I have two teenage sons, and forget it. When I have to get them takeout, it's torture for me. It's right. like I can't even think about because I know I'm going to get there, and they're going to call and say, "So what? What do they have? What are my choices?" And when the list is like 800 long, I know it's going to be a it's going to be a long night. Right. But um, <laughs> so. Yeah, the uh, you co-founded the DMV Food Truck Association. Is that something that um, uh, was there a reason behind it? Why did you put it out there? Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. Uh, it was uh, so in in 2010, food trucks. I mean, this is kind of a history lesson in the DC uh, mobile vending uh, more than anything. Which you know, I'm not that involved with anymore, right. but I still am friends with a lot of people and connected uh, socially to that, um, you know, there were like, uh, there, there were these loophole regulations. Um, we operated as ice cream trucks, meaning that we had to uh, gather a queue of customers to flag us down, technically speaking. Otherwise, we weren't able to loiter in one spot. Okay. And the second that our queue of customers left, we were supposed uh-huh. to move on to the next spot. So we operated under this loophole. Okay. And, and at the time, uh, we were able to do this. We used Twitter. To, to do that. We were like, hey, everybody be here. And then we'd okay. have a line for the entire lunch period. And, and food trucks were wildly popular at this point, 2010, 20, 2011. Okay. And of course, uh, the restaurant association and uh, a lot of the large restaurant interests had a huge problem with that, um, <laughs> with, with, um. with the operation of these food trucks in general. So um, they were trying to have a moratorium on food trucks uh, and food trucks, all these things at the time. And, uh, we formed an association, uh, uh, where there were 17 founding members. Um, I, I was kind of one of the three or four leaders of that at the time. And, uh, and then we hired a lobbyist and we got into lobbying ourselves and we created all kinds of relationships on the city council. Um, we created kind of a, an events department too, where, so the value of the membership wasn't just advocacy. It was also, you know, business opportunities and things like that, you know, being able to participate in certain exclusive events that um, mostly were lucrative. Um, So that was the association and association still exists now. Um, I think it's been going well. It has over a hundred members now uh, and still uh, participates in advocacy. Although in 2013, we got our new set of fresh regulations, you know, and so we've been kind of, um, right you know, it's not perfect, but we've had a, we've had a lot of security since then. And that was all because of the founding of that association and a few key members that, um, that really pushed it through. Before I let you go, Mike, um, I, I, we talked about it earlier in the show. I want you to share your top three strategies for staff retention. It is a big one. Uh, number one money, you know, people want to be paid <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, yeah, you know, it, they really do. And, uh, like we said, like this is, you know, people may like to come to work, may not like to come to work, but they're doing it because they need to uh, feed themselves, feed their families, you know, uh, have a have a life and, uh, you know, an extra dollar to an hour, whatever it is, you know, it really makes a big difference. So, you know, we pay, I think, 40 percent above the national average um, and that's just base wage. Wow. There's actually some tips and, and things like that as well. Um and then, you know, even Washington, D.C., which actually has a, a minimum wage of sixteen twenty an hour right now, you know, we were even slightly above that. Um, and uh, so number one is, is, yeah, just just pay people, you know, make it hard, make it make them make a decision like, oh, I'm going to go to this company. OK, well, what do they pay? Uh, obviously, we do a lot of the benefits and right. things like that as well. Um, 
you know, health insurance and things like that. Those things matter. Don't get me wrong. Uh, they're not unimportant, yeah. but the wage is really the most important thing. I think we also pay weekly. Um, this is something we kind of just backed into over okay. the years, but now we really use it as a selling point. Um, it's great. You know, I mean, it costs a little bit more in payroll processing, but it's, it's really not that much more. And, and people think twice, they're like, Oh, this other company pays every two weeks. Does that work for me? Um, so the second thing is, uh, we yeah. talked about earlier, focus on employee experience, right? Um, creating a service model and a system and, you know, whether, um, and look, we're serving quick service food, you know, we're not three Michelin star restaurants. Um, we, we cook from scratch. Uh, we use great culinary techniques and I'm really proud of our food, but it's not the end of the world to get pre-shredded cabbage, right? Like, like, you right. know, just think about, um, you know, all these things, uh, relative to, to what, what's happening. Um, I see some newer fast casuals try to get a little bit too far into from scratch cooking. Um, and it just doesn't fit, uh, that particular workforce, uh, quite correctly. So employee experience, and that also, um, goes on to, uh, the culture of respect and that comes from the leaders down, but you know, it's really also from the bottom up. It's just, um, you know, leadership style, servant leadership, you know, is really what we call it. Um, right. You know, our, our primary goal is to uh, define reality. Reality is that this is the job. This is where we are. We have to do it. And then after you right. define reality, the leader is just the servant, right? Like we just we just break down obstacles for people and uh, and help them do their job. You know, uh, that creates intrinsic motivation, right? Do I have to mop the floor or do I want to work in a restaurant with a clean floor? And look, I'm not saying, you know, right. everybody is perfect, but it really, it really is like that. You know, I mean, I, you know, you, people, our people don't want to work in a dirty restaurant. It's not, you know, is it hard work? Yes, but it's not like, oh, I have to do this today. Uh, we also have a very flat right. um, model. I mean, obviously we have a hierarchy of leadership, but um, we don't have a, dishwasher, for example, everybody does dishes, right? We actually don't okay. have designated prep cooks and front of the house people. Um, everybody is cross trained. There's some people who obviously gravitate a little okay. bit towards certain positions based on their strengths, but everybody's cross trained. And so there's, there's a very little disparity um, in terms of, you know, the suckier jobs or what have you. Yeah. And, uh, and that's really <laughs> yeah. baked into uh, the way we operate. And I think it makes a big difference, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Those are those are all uh, very good strategies. Uh, I appreciate you sharing them with us. Um, I just want to thank you for stopping by today, Mike. It's really important to, to to share knowledge in the industry, say what's working, maybe what's not working, be really honest about it. Um, but we totally wish you all the success. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. I also want to give a quick shout out to our audience. You guys tuning in over the podcast, make sure you rate the show, subscribe. I'm your host, Lisa Pepe, and I will catch you next time.